That's it. Now on the spot. One, two, one, two, one, two. What are your legs? Springs. Steel springs. What are they going to do? Hold me down the track. How fast can you run? As fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? As fast as a leopard. Then let's see you do it. Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Whittington. And before we talk to you about the Australian film, which technically counts as a foreign film, we try to do those, we try to get foreign films. In every recording session, we try and do one. Yes, so this is an Australian film. Uh, before we talk about Gallipoli today, we'll, we're going to bring you some recommendations. Ian, do you mind if I go first? Please. So I watched a, a really emotionally draining movie the other day. And I, I don't know, I, I, I'm still in the midst of like a documentary kick. And I was looking back over recommendations that we've done since we started the show. And I really have a shitload of documentary recommendations I feel like I've done. And well, I, and we did our documentary episode. Yes. And we we spouted off. We must have talked about twenty different documentaries oh, in that episode. T- totally, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and actually, it was in the midst of the Thin Blue Line research and stuff. I watched this Watch Mojo thing. This top ten top ten hardest to watch documentaries for 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 various reasons. And I just watched it to see what was on there. And one of them is it's currently on Prime. And not knowing exactly what I was getting myself into. I watched this documentary called Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. And all I knew about the movie was what I got from this little YouTube clip, which is that it follows uh, the real life. This, ha- this actually happened. There was this 28-year-old who was uh, murdered. And one of his best friends uh, is it was a film, was a documentary filmmaker. So he, he's the one who's making this movie. And essentially, he's making a tribute movie to this guy's son now a little about here's some reasons about why that is interesting um his friend was murdered by the woman that he was formerly dating that he broke up with and a couple of months after he's murdered we find out that she is pregnant with his son and so he goes about traveling to the country and get meeting all of get, get meeting friends that he didn't even know and and basically, he's making just sort of a love letter to his friend, basically saying, no, this is this was your dad, and he was a really great guy. And he flies to England, because I think that's where his mom is from, and he's all over the place. And and so half of this movie is a kind of a touching letter that this guy is making for his unborn son, while the other half of it is following the proceedings of this woman who eventually is arrested, but she's Canadian, so there's this whole the extradition process in Canada takes a really long time. And so it's, it's, it's walking this, this, this line between let's hear about how great this guy is and, and the messages that, that this son who, who, and then the son is born and the, the, the documentary filmmaker gets to meet him, the little boy. And, and it's, it's, it's really sweet. It's, it's such a, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful, like tribute video as you're following the, um, the real life court events of this woman. And then um, because this man has died, his parents are trying to fight for custody of the son because this woman has been accused of murdering 
somebody. So that's the other debate going on too is, is basically a custody battle over this this kid. And this movie takes a, a very hard, hard turn about 75% of the way through it. And I didn't know anything about this real event and where the story goes is just kind of crazy and I, uh, I, 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 it's not, it's not too long and I got to work really, really early. So I watched it on my phone and, uh, was a puddle, just a, a puddle. And I do recommend it. You will only ever watch this movie once if you see it at all. Um, because it is, it, it just drains you. But the message at the end of it, I think ultimately is worth kind of getting to. But this recommendation, which actually comes with my St. John highest seal of approval, um, will, drain you I mean you will be mentally fucking exhausted but I but I also like I can't not recommend it you know what I mean like this this has to be seen that's awesome to hear because um, it's so rarely do you get those experiences that really ask something of you yeah and, and it's and, and it's expect you to give something in it's return all, it's all the more of course dramatic because it actually happened and and knowing that too makes it even more gut punching um and especially if if you're in the story, like if if you're you know, you're following along and, and it's because it, it goes about very procedurally and you're you're kind of going step by step. When the events happen that happen, it just it knocks the it, I I it knocked the wind out of me, and I don't mean that metaphorically. I quite literally it was oh, wow. Hard. That's super exciting to hear. Um. So whew, um. Yeah. So there you go. So my my recommend is a hard film to watch. Um, but it is currently on Prime. It's called Dear Zachary: A Letter to a Son About His or a Letter to a Son About His Father. Yeah. Um, there you go. I've I've actually just written it down right now because I I want to see that. It, yeah. It will. You you will need time to recuperate. Don't like don't watch it before bed. Okay. Make sure I've got something queued yes, up afterwards yes, to exactly. cleanse the palate. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I wish you would told me after Fahrenheit eleven nine. Sorry, I tried to. A little I know bit. you did. I but I did. I watched it right before. Wow, I I, that's I, another. I, I forgot. Kept, man, I really kept just kept me awake. Recommend a lot. I didn't of sleep that night. Man. I'm sorry. Um, but I got another sleepless night ahead of me. Apparently, maybe. Yeah. Well, shit. Now I, I my recommendation seems kind of piss poor in oh, in comparison. Whatever. What do you got? Oh, so I got I so this this film that we're going to talk about today, Gallipoli. It yeah. features a very early performance uh, from Mel Gibson. Is it not the first? Uh, no, he'd done, a, he'd done a handful. Of, he'd already done Mad Max. Oh, okay. Um, he was in, this was in between Mad Max movies. Okay. okay. Uh, and he'd already done a couple of little other Australian, very small productions. But I wanted to do a kind of then and now. Uh, so I have his newest film, which I don't know if it's streaming on any platforms yet. I bought it on a whim because I love the other two uh, S. Craig Zaylor films, um, Bone Tomahawk oh. and... Bone Tomahawk is so Oh, good. dude. I love, and I, any, in, any, in any form of art or entertainment, I love something that starts as one thing and then becomes something else. In the same way from Dust Till yeah, Dawn does that. that. Yeah, yeah. And Bone Tomahawk does that ooh, so well. Yes, So, so well. Yeah. And his second film was a film with Vince Vaughn called uh, Brawl on Cell Block 99. I heard about that. It's very good. Okay. It's it's definitely my type. It's Craig S. Craig Zaylor. I'm starting to realize he is my kind of filmmaker. He makes my kind of movies. Uh, these super dark, crazy, twisted, very politically incorrect uh, thrillers and noirs and and 
dragged across concrete the film that i have for us today that is is very much it's funny it's a kind of callback to last week when we were talking about noirs and and modern noirs like brick I mean, yeah dragged across concrete very much is a modern noir so uh, you've got Vince Vaughn is in this one as well, as is Mel Gibson. They play two cops. They've got Mel Gibson, who's obviously the older guy who should have advanced further in his career than he has. But Is this because, not just a continuation of his Lethal Weapon character? It's definitely not. <laughs> it's definitely not Martin Riggs, man. This is a, a, a horse of a different color. Sorry. <laughs> but nice segue. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so he uh, he plays a cop who again his career hasn't advanced very far he's still the same he, he actually calls it out I'm the same rank I was when I was 27 and he's pushing 60 jeez yeah and uh, Vince Vaughn is his slightly younger partner and Vince Vaughn has this relationship he wants to get married um, so he's trying to you know to, he's he's, uh, he's getting married to a woman who's clearly he's punching well above his weight as far as both looks and intelligence are concerned um Mel Gibson, meanwhile, has this uh, young daughter who's being bullied pretty much every day by these these young thugs on the street and being at some points assaulted, not not rape or anything like that, but they're like throwing stuff in her face. And he's uh, married to a, a woman who was a former cop who now has MS, and so she's quite debilitated and using a cane. She's a stay-at-home mom's life. Anyway, so the, what kicks in the plot is that uh, they're doing a raid trying to find uh, it's just the two of them staking out this place and they're they're trying to get a hold of these drugs and uh, they get caught on film or at least Mel Gibson gets caught on film using a bit more force than is necessary and of course it's on a on a minority and so of course it's a huge they've got to be suspended Very they've got to make a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we got to make a big deal out of this and their their captain is actually Don Johnson who was in okay. who was in uh, cell block 99 as well okay um a very small role, but it's nice to see ever since uh, Django Unchained that Don Johnson is starting to have a little bit of a resurgence. Because I, I dig Miami Vice. I don't care. No, I Miami Vice was. I, mean, I think you, I think you dig the eighties. I, 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 yeah, I kind of do. I dig the seventies more, but you know, I and I also I'm a sucker for for uh, Michael Mann. Yeah, that that's fair. So they they go they, while they're on suspension, they go about. Or at least Mel Gibson ends up dragging the Vince Vaughn character into this idea of, you know, we've we've earned a little bit of something. You know, we're we're stagnating, we're going nowhere, we've been suspended for using, you know, what they said was lethal force, but I was, you know, protecting my he he has his foot on the guy's neck, so you can see, yeah, you maybe didn't need to do that, but I it's one of those those gray area kind of things. Sure. I'm not defending his actions at all, yeah. but you know, so they they're they're gonna they're gonna try and take a little bit something back for themselves. And meanwhile, there's this other plot that's happening with this young guy that's just gotten out of, just gotten back out of jail, and he's being pulled back into the criminal underworld because he needs to take care of his brother that's in a wheelchair and his mom who's gone back to hook in in order to, you know, keep a roof over their heads and things like that. Yeah. And there's this whole, not an armored car, but there's this guy going around. Or you find out it's actually several guys and they're dressed from head to toe in black and all this riot gear and they're setting up for this bank heist, which Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn just happen to be outside when it happens, staking out something else entirely. They end up finding out that what they're staking out is tied to this bank robbery. And this film is, uh, it, it got a lot of flack for being a real slow burner and mm-hmm. not a lot happens in it. Again, he's very, uh, the S. Craig Zaylor, he's again very much a guy I've, I've talked about before, Jeremy Solnier or Taylor Sheridan, where yeah. they have slow burning thrillers that just have moments of uh, where they explode. Yeah. As you, you've seen Bone Tomahawk, well, no, I mean, that film drags in places, but when it kicks off, it fucking kicks yeah. off. <laughs> 
So I mean, it's it's my type of film. I love the I love stuff like The Wire. I love all that slow burning kind of thing. So yeah. I mean, it was um it was interesting to see. And I don't want to talk too much about Mel Gibson's personal life or things like that. But it was refreshing to see him take a a very I mean, he's played mature characters before, but it's nice to see him still have some of that those acting chops that you know have always been there. Yeah, but he he he. There were times where he very rarely showed them off. I mean, there's instances like uh, "Man Without a Face," which I love so very dearly. I think that I was seen that. that's him. He's playing the guy who's got the the teacher, the tutor. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it was his directorial debut. I think it was his proof of concept that he could direct something. So yeah. that Warner, uh, who was Universal or whoever, would green light. I don't know. I don't remember the studio. Fox. Great. So Fox would green light. Um, Braveheart. Yeah. 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 It was kind of, you know, I've like many people, I've shied away from Mel Gibson, obviously, because of his anti-Semite views and the way he went off the deep end and his whole religious zealotry and all of that sort of stuff. The Passion of the Christ did nothing for me, which is a discussion we don't have to get into here. But I have given his films a wide berth over the last 10 years. So it was nice to kind of revisit him and, and go back and say, okay, despite all this shit that's happened in his personal life and his religious preferences and stuff like that i can separate the man from his work and yeah. it's just nice because i i was a huge mel gibson fan growing up. i absolutely adore mel gibson so the lethal weapons are my those are my guilty pleasures those are my They're, like my, those those are my sick day movies i've actually thing. never i've never seen the third one uh i not just I, i've third seen one's okay i've seen one two and i don't know and four yeah. i saw four in theaters for some reason when i was a kid oh really yeah before i'd ever seen the first two <laughs> which of course makes total sense yeah yeah why yeah. wouldn't you uh, but yeah, like I said, I just it was nice to revisit, and it it doesn't hurt that it's my type of movie, and that S. Craig Zahler is a guy going well, places. Yeah, and I, oh, dude, Bone Tomahawk is great, and I I I really respond to the Bone Tomahawk. It was fantastic. So I'm I'm, I'm actually, actually excited to go to watch both of these. Yeah, you're gonna like yeah. those other two. Yeah, and it's uh, Attack or Brawl on Cell Block 99 is definitely the best thing Vince Vaughn has probably ever done. Oh, okay. Right. Like I those those two that the actor director combination they've struck something kind of special. Nice. There. Awesome. I, ho- I hope they keep working together because I definitely it's gonna help. Well, Vince Vaughn doesn't seem to be too busy these days, so yeah. I mean, yeah. other than True Detective and yeah, I know how you feel about season no, two. Okay, but. but all I was saying was how long ago was that? Now, like, yeah, it's been a good couple of years since yeah. season two. And even two. before that, what was he doing? Yeah, right. Uh, he was still working with Owen Wilson. Yeah. Oh God, that's right. The Intern or whatever. Yeah, that the, was. the yeah. Google movie. Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, neither did I. Well, you know, and I, I, I always enjoyed. I, I, Mel as as an actor, um, which kind of leads us into talking about Gallipoli, because um, uh, he he was always charming, man. I or, or at least when that was the character he was going for, like I just he was yeah, a he's guy. got this he's he's got the, those blue eyes, man, those piercing blue Sinatra like eyes, yeah, right, those those steely blue that just pierces straight through you, and he just he does he's he's always oozed charm when he's not oozing anti semite yeah, slurs. That's, that's fair, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so let, let's let's take a step away from that uh, just for a second. We'll be talking um, plenty of Mel Gibson later. In the yeah, episode. exactly. So we're so we're talking about Gallipoli today. Um, this was directed by Peter Weir. Uh, it was written by him and David Williamson. Although apparently it's might be based off of a novel. Uh, there's there's two two books for sure that it definitely draws a lot from. The first one is a book by uh, Ernest Raymond. Yeah, that's the one that I yeah. Uh, the Tell England from 1922, which has themes of of war and friendship and Mm -hmm. friendships being you know torn apart because of war the other one um 
is Bill Gamage's Broken Years, which is actually a, an account of Gallipoli from the people that were there. Okay, yeah. So uh, main casts in this movie, I mean, um, obviously Mel Gibson plays uh, Frank Dunn and uh, Mark Lee plays Archie Hamilton. And then, so I, wrote, I only wrote down five other characters. I have uh, Bill Kerr as Jack. That's his uncle, right? Yeah, that's uncle. Uncle, uncle Jack, yeah. And then I have uh, Heath Harris as Stockman. Robert Grubb as Billy, Tim McKenzie as Barney, and David Argue as Snowy. Do you have anybody else you'd like to Yeah, mention? I got Bill Hunter, uh, who was Major Barton, and then Jeff Parry, uh, who was Sergeant Sayers, who was previously in Mad Max with Mel Gibson. And then the only other thing that Bill Hunter is really known for, I think, is probably Priscilla queen of the desert i think i i think i read that too yeah when i was i clicked the names you know on imdb and just checked so now this i, I don't want to derail us too much here but um do you want to do a quick little peter weird discussion well, that's, that's, and, that's what i was gonna, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what i was gonna, he's because yeah. he's got a couple others in, in so the he's book. got yeah he's got two other movies in the book he's got picnic at hanging rock which i i feel like you've mentioned to me in in passing it, not on the podcast but yes. in passing yeah but i think i mentioned it because the uh, the prime did a have done a series based on it as well which i feel oh. is probably pretty unnecessary because sure. i think peter weir kind of hit the nail on the head with, the, with that i don't think there's really anything else I, that needs to be said i haven't seen it but i know it's a criterion yeah um and then as is isn't the last wave i don't know yeah i'm not sure but, but that's the other one that's in the yes. book none of his none of his recent stuff is in there which truman a, i think you can make a pretty good argument for truman show going in the book i think you can make a fucking hell of an argument as i will do probably throughout this episode i'm sure you that the will. truman show should be in the book it's your replacement isn't it oh it absolutely is my yeah, replacement. I, fi- I figured it was um a master and commander as well oh man that's I've, a good one too i have been waiting I, it's almost 20 years now i've been waiting for a sequel for master and commander which i feel we're probably not going to get nah, no it's a point. shame yeah. because there's 20 books i mean there's plenty of material and i and know that russell crowe he's he's all game for it if he can lose the weight and i and i i know and i also i have a soft spot for um Dead Poet Society, as yeah. I know. Um, wait, do I have that? Didn't he? Peter Peter Weir did Witness, right? Yeah, he did Witness, and he did he did. The, I think he did the two best Harrison Ford performances, and they're back to back. He did Witness, which again I adore, and I yeah. would love to see in the book. I would love for as many people as possible. I thought, see, see, and I thought Witness was for the longest time until I started prepping for this, and that even made me that made me angry for you. That the Witness that isn't Witness in wasn't in the I, book. It's well, the thing is, it wasn't it wasn't hugely acclaimed upon its release and it That's seems to have been, true though it was well, not for best it, picture it was acclaimed in the sense that a lot of people respected it had notoriety Har- yeah people respected harrison ford making that leap from action star you yeah. know having done star wars and yeah. indiana jones yeah. and now he's cutting his teeth on something a little more dramatic yeah but it, it it seemed like the reviews for it from what i remember reading are fairly lukewarm sure i know roger ebert was not overly taken with it but then the other one the one that they they did another film right after witness the mosquito coast which was not well received at all which i i guess i kind of get people say that harrison ford completely overacts in it which i totally disagree with i, I you're not familiar with mosquito no. coast and so mosquito no. coast is uh he's a he's an inventor with a very large family uh helen mirren plays his wife and one of his sons is played by river phoenix Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I Yeah, I, I think I knew. That was... A, yeah. Yeah, and he's got a bunch of patents pending, and he's the, the, the bane of all his neighbors. I think Jason Alexander plays one of his neighbors. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where, like, Jason Alexander, where are you, man? Like, what happened to that guy? 
He's he, living. He's he, li- did, he did Shallow Hal, and he's living off of his Seinfeld yeah, money. He's living all that that, that good Seinfeld that money. Sweet, sweet residual. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so he decides that he's sick of America, and that he's going to go to the Amazon, and he's going to bring civilization to some of these these tribes there. Because in his mind, ice is civilized. That's his mantra. Ice is civilization. And so he wants to bring ice to these indigenous people. And of course, things don't go well along the way. There are bandits and things like that that are trying to sabotage. And there's also this religious expedition that's getting in his way as well. And it's a meeting of like man versus nature and man versus his own nature and, and things like that. It's a very, yeah. very good movie. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, this can, we can get circled back. But I, I, I think Peter Weir is deserving of having three movies in the book. I just don't know about these three. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, some accolades. Uh, it was nominated for best foreign film at the Golden Globes, which it lost to uh, Chariots of Fire, which, funnily enough, is another movie about runners. Which is also weird. I can see. I can at least see this as a as a foreign film because of how it was produced. Chariots of Fire seems a bit more of a stretch. Well, it it is a UK production. I, I know, but like, it, none of the money's American. Ah, uh, whatever. It is a it is a an English story with a. I haven't actually seen Jerry's of Fire. I haven't either. Yeah. yeah. That'll be fun when we get to that, I guess. Oh, yeah. It's in there, isn't it? I think so. I think the only thing driving me to see that is my love of Ian Holm. Hey, well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I got to tell you, at the Australian Film Institute Awards... It swept. It, this pretty much was the, the movie. Um, I mean, both both uh, Gibson and um, Mark Lee were nominated for Best Leading Actor. Gibson walking away with it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, film, director, actor, supporting actor, screenplay, sound, editing, and cinematography, and it lost actor, of course, because only one can win. It lost supporting actor, of course, because one can win uh, production design and costume design. I mean, this was, I mean, at the time, it was the most expensive film ever produced in Australia. Yeah, and it was yeah. actually produced by uh, Rupert Murdoch. Which I didn't know when we wanted to bring up, but uh, there, <laughs> there you, you go. go. Well, it's the only film he ever produced, and I guess he went and, out on a high note. And technically uncredited as a producer. Yes. Um, but yeah. he's, you know, his money's behind that. Yeah, no, well, it, it's, uh, well, it, the whole idea for Gallipoli, Gallipoli was going to be a much larger sweeping story that dealt with the war in general rather than these two guys. It was going to be much more of a, Probably, I guess their their ideas. I don't, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think in retrospective, you could say that the the goal was probably to create something more along the lines of a Saving Private Ryan, as far as that kind of scale and accuracy and detail. And of course, the Australian Film Fund. Well, we don't think anybody's going to be interested in this. This is too expensive. Yeah. They pulled out, and of course, it forced them to rewrite the script completely. Several different drafts. Actually, I I, I watched an interview with Peter Weir where they had a draft where the movie ended. Uh, with uh, Caliphly not even really happening. It was more about these boys and getting there and getting to Cairo, which again, a, a large chunk of the movie is, but yeah. Archie steps off the boat and gets shot. And that's the end of the movie. So it's, it's the whole idea of you go through all of this, you go through all this training, all this ideals of you wanting to fight for the greater good and you get there and you just get killed. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of, I Spielberg kind of very briefly addressed it didn't really call attention to it but again that happens in Saving Private Ryan where the guys step onto Normandy and you're cut down some guys are cut down even before they hit the beach yeah yeah that's true but yeah it was the most as you said it was the most expensive Australian production at the time with a budget of 2.8 and it did really well I mean it took almost 12 million in Australia and then did uh, 5.7 here in the States so it, it did some good business and of course Peter Weir would go on 
because of its success to make a couple of other great movies another one with mel gibson uh and i believe sigourney weaver the year of living dangerously yeah and then of course the two harrison ford ones i mentioned yeah linda hunt won i think supporting actress for that when it came out yeah um and then I, it, it was on the national board of reviews top 10 of the year yeah. when it came out uh it has a critical rotten tomato score of 90 and Which, it both audience, of these i'm gonna say you're are gonna think are very high 83 yeah I do. Yeah. Well, and and so did you? Did you have any? Did you find any uh, critical reviews or anything? I well, I have. I don't have one from the time. I have a retrospective one. Well, I, I have uh, one from the time. If you want me oh, to go yeah, first, please. yeah. So, and I, I picked it specifically because so Evan Williams wrote this uh, for the Australian when it came out. Um, wow, you really dug deep, man. Yeah. Well, it, 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 I think it makes my point that that wouldn't have been on the first Google page search, now would it? No. So delighted was my first response to Peter Weir's Gallipoli. Though delight seems scarcely the word for a film so darkly suffused with this world's pain, that even now, weeks after I had the privilege of seeing it, my inclination is still to doubt my judgment. Was I unfairly influenced in its favor, or is it really the masterpiece it seems to be? It is true that one still feels a certain exaggeration and unnecessary, unnecessary loyalty to the local industry, a readiness to enthuse where modest praise is due. It's true that I have a special admiration for Weir himself, and I suppose there was also... To put it to no, to put it no higher, a sense of simple relief that a film on which so many talents and reputations had been staked was not a self-evident disappointment. But when all allowance is made for a caution and partiality, one is driven to conclude that here, indeed, is a film of true nobility and greatness, as accomplished a work of art as our as our country has produced, a serene and poignant contemplation of our origin as a nation and the tragedy that shapes us. I'm not surprised to hear an Australian praise this movie so much. Well, it well it is it is their history. It is yeah. important. But well, the, the the other thing that's important to note is that for a lot of the guys on the production anyway, Anzac Day, which stands for the Australian New Zealand uh, Armed Army Corps. I mean, it, it's a big deal there. You know, it's their Veterans Day. It's a very meaningful, very somber day. But for a lot of these guys growing up, a lot of these guys on the cast and crew, it was little more for them than just a day off school. Yeah, and so it was. It was such important, such an important moment and impactful for them to actually to to go there and to see these things. I mean, obviously, most of the film was actually shot in Australia and not out there. Yes, for logistical reasons and and for monetary reasons. Um, but Peter Weir did go there. That was his. He was a uh, he was promoting Picnic at Hanging Rock. Is uh, on his way to the UK and decided, you know what, I. Uh, I want to know a little bit more about my country's history, and he decided to stop there. So the retrospective uh, review that I have, which was written for the the hundredth anniversary of Gallip- yeah, uh, yeah, by uh, by Martin Chilton in the Telegraph, actually has a quote from Peter Weir in it. Um, I went to Istanbul, hired a car, and drove to the battlefield. An extraordinary experience. I saw no one in two days of climbing up and down slopes and wandering through the trenches, finding all sorts of scraps left by the armies, buttons and bits of old leather, belts, bones of donkeys, even an unbroken Eno's fruit salts bottle. Now, he elaborated on that in an in a interview that I saw where that's just one of those things. It's like Coca-Cola for us. You know, every, everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, I felt somehow I was really touching history. Now that's really what it was, and it totally altered my perceptions of Gallipoli. I decided then and there that I'd make the film. And then Chilton goes on to say, and what a film he made, one of the most elegaic anti-war films ever made. Few films will ever impact the Australian and Kiwi psyche with as much force as Weir's. When a relative of mine saw it on its 1981 release in Perth, it was hard to hear the dialogue, so loud was the sobbing from most of the audience. 
So I feel like we are definitely not the target audience as as a as an Englishman and as an American. Sure. I mean, this film is made by the Australian people for the Australian people to help uh, help them understand the sacrifices that their their young men made. I agree. I I absolutely agree. I I just think I don't know how much I am I don't know how much I enjoy the story that parts the, the, of the story. I'm going to assume that you enjoy the second half of the film much more than the first. Am I kind of in the right area it, there it, a little I, bit? Y- yes and no. Yes and no. But but so before but before I, I launch into my thing, do you want to do you want to Yeah, I'll, I'll lead a I'll lead a little short synopsis here. So the film opens uh, in Australia, 1915, uh, the war is already happening. Uh, well, not for you guys anyway. The Yanks didn't join the war until 1970. You it guys wasn't all... our war, buddy. Yeah, no, it wasn't right? our war. You guys were all about isolationism, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Woodrow Wilson is a dick. Uh, yeah, you guys are always, you're, you're there watching John Wayne movies and you show up like, you know, we were waiting for that Calvary well, back charge. Back then we were watching D.W. Griffith movies and trying not to be racist. Oh... Sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. Oh boy. Anyway, so the film opens uh, with young Archie Hamilton. Yes, he is a, a sprinter. He's there in the outback with his. It's in Western Australia. He's there with his uncle and he unsung has, hero. Yes, absolutely. Not in it enough. I know. I realize why he goes. Sorry, Joe, I. He is. I loved what he did in the movie. Yeah, he's good. So he. There's an opening bit of dialogue that I made sure that I had because I, I love it so much. It opens with them, and he's warming up in the desert, getting ready to do a practice yeah, run. I like, I like this. And he bit. goes, what are your legs? Steel springs. springs. What are you going to do? Hurl me down the track. How fast can you run? Fast as a leopard. How, How fast, fast are you going to run? Gonna yeah. run? As fast as a leopard. And let's see you do it. So I, so he's on his way to becoming, a, uh, as far as we know, maybe he could be as good to be in the Olympics. So yeah. they, they go off um, – out into one of the cities to, to compete on a somewhat professional level at mm-hmm. this carnival. Uh, and there we also meet the Frank Dunn character played by Mal Gibson, who has uh, run off with his buddies from their railway job. Some kind of, yeah. I, yeah. It's hard to read him. Hard to know at that early, early on in the movie, what yeah. he, what he is, what he's doing, yeah, he what does, he cares about. He doesn't have a ton of motivate or his motivations are clouded. He talks about having business interests, but you feel like that's kind of to impress the people around him. Yeah. He's definitely, none of them are happy with their railway jobs and they all feel a sense of, of need to go out there and to help, or at least his friends do more so than he does to yes. go out and join the war and, and fight for what's right and to stop, stop the Germans before they get to Australia. Uh, so they end up meeting, they, they form a bit of a, a rivalistic friendship, uh, kind of love-hate relationship, if you will. Uh, they end up hopping a train uh, to Perth, which it sounds like is where Mel Gibson is either, his character is either from or he grew up there or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but they're going there because Archie tried to sign up. You know, He decided after the run, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to join the army, even though my parents don't want me to, and even though I'm a little bit south of proper as far as age is concerned. Yeah. And, of course, they go, no, nah, we know how old you are. We know who you are. You can't go. And well, Gibson goes, well, hey, they don't know you in Perth. Come with me. Let's hop a train. Only they hop a train in the wrong direction. And it leaves them yeah, way, way out in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. And then the film kind of goes a bit Lawrence of Arabia. I oh, Thank you. Thank you. That <laughs> note is, is... Is that in your notes? Oh, God, where is it? Because yes, I didn't write that down. I'm is. just improvising. I think I said this. I think he's. Oh, seems, seems to be trying a bit too hard to be Lawrence of Arabia. And then I wrote, I get it. The desert is vast. Sorry. Well, they they gotta walk this fifty miles of dry dry lake bed 
to get anywhere back near civilization. There's a wonderful moment in the desert, though, with that that old fella. Yeah. Who clearly knows nothing of the, what's happening in the yeah. world around him. And he's talking to these boys and helps them out with some water. And, uh, God, what is he? He talks about how uh, I, what, I, the, the Germans are welcome to, you know, why are you going to war? And they're like, well, we got to stop the Germans. We got to stop them because they might end up here. And he goes, ah, oh, they're welcome to it. Yeah. That was I love the, that moment of cynicism of the, the not understanding just the well, depth of this and situation. Even, I think at one point he even like they say where you go. He, he asks where they're going and, and they say Perth. He's like, oh, I wanted to go to a city once. No. It's like, you haven't, it's just, it's just, just, yeah, a totally different time and place that he hasn't been to a city. Yeah, you just know? a it's man just, living off the land and yeah. wandering the desert. Yep. Anyway, they get there and, uh. Turns out that Mel isn't, he can't quite cut the mustard when it comes to joining, joining the light horseman because he has no, no horse riding experience, yeah. even though Archie tries to give him a quick lesson. Archie ends up joining the light, the 10th, the 10th light horseman and mm-hmm. uh, Gibson gets stuck joining the infantry when he reunites with his friends there. Yeah. They, they just happen to be at the same bar of him and then off they go to Cairo. We, we lose touch with Archie for a little chunk of the film and yeah. then we go off to, to Cairo. And that's interesting too, because we do... We, you know, it, it really is he Archie's is, story. He for, is the main character. Yeah, until we, we switch over to Mel and his friends. Yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes Mel Gibson's movie. And then, yep. of course, the movie does meander a little bit while we're in Cairo. And, and you are kind of waiting for them to reunite, which they eventually do. Yeah. And, of course, now they they go off to Gallipoli together. He's able to get Frank in the same, or the, Frank, the Mel Gibson character in yeah. the same division of him. And, and they go off together, only to find out that their, their gung-ho heroism is going to do them no good on the trenches of, of Gallipoli. Yeah. And, of course, that battle ends. The Battle of the Neck is what it was called, and it ends completely disastrously. Yeah. Now, here's where the film is a little bit misleading. So there's a character in there who speaks very much with a British accent. I read this. Go, yeah. And that's just, it was more of an upper-class Australian. It was a bit more clipped, and it did sound very British. Um, they do, my only argument with the film, and of course this comes to realism versus what you need to do for emotional beats and what you need to do to truncate time, but the actual battle of the neck was more about helping uh, New Zealanders to land rather than the British. And uh, the British did actually suffer quite heavy casualties in this war, in in this particular battle as well, coming to the Australians' aid. And uh, a lot of the blame was actually landed, landed on the Australians' feet for... Uh, incompetent command because there was a commander trying to stop the the push over the top while waves were still going and it started to peter anyway it was just a, a goddamn disaster which yeah. ended up in actually winston churchill resigning his position this is long before he ever became prime minister when he was just uh, at the department of, of uh, department of war or whatever they called it back in the day he ended up in his shame going and serving in the trenches himself as a commander because of how disastrously Gallipoli went. There's well, a little bit of it's, it's not all and and well that's, historical facts for you, but you know the sort of brief summary of it. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. You do we, but I think it's I think it's easier to blame the British because you know when you're in Australia, they're on the other side of the world. You don't want to go really bla- placing blame at the feet of your New Zealand buddies next door. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, I mean, I mean, we we have to acknowledge that. When we watch a film, if it's based on historical events, we're not seeing reality. We're seeing somebody's version of an event that happened. Which Mel Gibson can tell you. I mean, Braveheart I, is one of the most historically inaccurate films ever made. Yes, yes. Um, but but you know, but I don't. That, that that's not what detracts me from 
the the movie. Oh, and I, I didn't assume that it was. Oh. I was going to assume that your problems were probably going to do with the first half of the film and pacing and... It does... It does... Lack of characterization, it does I'm going to guess. Okay, my, first of all, I'm going to give you my... So, initially, <laughs> my first notes in the movie is, is how pretentious it seemed. I didn't like the, like, a, a story by Peter Weir. I didn't like the opening little credit thing. And the score in this movie is god awful. Well, you I know why you hate it's Adagio in G minor. It's the same bit of music that they used in Manchester by the Sea. But it's so it's so synthy too. It it's just Oh. I I and and like they play it over like one of the better parts of the movie where, you know, Mel's trying to run that message back and forth and it it's like it could be so much better, but like that music kicks in and it's like, oh Jesus Christ! It's just yeah, it's it's the Manchester it, by the Sea syndrome. You we oh now we God. know that you just hate Adagio and G minor. I hate oh scores that are more powerful, well, than they need to be. But it wasn't. It's not just the music. It's the the synth really doesn't help this. It's 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 it doesn't help because it's an it's such an eighties thing. But this movie takes place not. It, it, you can't place the movie with the score. Do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 no, a bit I, anachronistic, I get I get and it doesn't it doesn't work for me. I'm I'm curious by your your use of the word pretentious. I didn't like the way it opened. It what is I I don't know if I wrote it down exactly. Peter oh Peter's Peter Weir's film of Gallipoli. So it's it's the wording there. Yeah, it that, is that's fucked you off. Why why not a, a film by Peter Weir? I don't know. I don't know why it, Peter Weir Peter Weir's film of that's such a Gallipoli. nitpicky it bullshit is. thing to get pissed but off that about. that and the score right at the top i was like oh come on come on but then i feel like it it dragged you back in a little bit you like the uncle jack character i do although i didn't i i hated i felt like i was being beat over the head with that jungle book scenario oh i like that i hated that about the boy leaving home and all it was that. too it was too on the nose it just felt like oh foreshadowing Maybe, yeah. And and this movie had a lot of unfortunate foreshadowing. Like, obviously, I think we knew that Gallipoli wasn't going to go well. But there's the the one guy in the army who who tells his wife, you know, make sure you're back. What is like like for your anniversary or something? Or and we oh, he's got the bottle of champagne. The second that happened, I was like, he's not coming back. There's just a lot of really, I felt like obvious foreshadowing going on, and 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 there were moments. They were really tender and really, really earned. You know, I loved, was it, I forget what friend of, of Gibson's it was in the movie, but he's like, you know, why, why aren't they feeding me? Yeah. That was, that yeah. was a, well, and of course, and I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, they're not feeding you because why would they waste the food on you? Because they, you are not going to make it. Yeah. Well, and he's this, also got that little quip about, you know, don't worry about it. No, no Turk would bother wasting a bullet on you. Yeah. That's one of my favorite lines in the movie. I, I get, but I, I, I love watching it all play on, on, on Mel Gibson's face, yeah, because this this really started to prove, wow, this this kid's got it. Whatever he's he's whatever it is, he's got it. Mm-hmm. And watching that, hearing about you know one of his friends is dead, another one is maimed, another one is dying in front of him, you know, seeing the reality of things start to play on his face. And meanwhile, he's contending with this Archie character who's like, well, sort of, you've always got a bloody smile on your face, is what he says to him. Yeah. You know? There were, I mean, there, there were definitely, I'm not going to say this movie was shit. It, it wasn't. Um, there well, were, we're definitely not going to get any fans in Australia with you saying that. 
I, I just said that this movie wasn't yeah, I, I know. shit. If you were to say that is what I mean. Yeah, okay. Um, but I just didn't... I, I found it myself not... I wish I cared more about the, our main guys. Because Mel Gibson is charming, but I don't necessarily care about him. Well, there's there's less characterization with him than there is with Archie. Yeah. And there's that great sequence at the beginning where he very stupidly accepts the bet to, so, yeah. to you know, you go bareback on the horse and I'll go barefoot across the desert. Of course, cuts his feet to ribbons. Yeah. Uh, Still days, wins the race. Yeah. Days before the race. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, of course, is, is a little bit. Of, Gibson should have won it, but whatever. You know, we Archie is the hero, so of course he's going to win the race. Yeah, but then I I can understand kind of the the shifting dynamic of yes, there's less characterization with Mel Gibson, and then oddly we spend more time with him because mm-hmm. uh, Archie disappears for a chunk of the movie while yeah. they're off in Cairo training and. Uh, I do love the little bit where they're riding through the street and giving the English officers a hard time, and they're like, "If England needs a hand, well, here it is." I actually wrote, wrote a note. I was like, "I wonder what Ian thinks about this I, part of the movie." It's fun, you know. We we and the Australians would give each other a hard time. I mean, there, I there's a there's a moment. I so you guys don't really do a lot of panel shows. I'm going to go on a weird tangent and just go with me. All right, you guys don't do a lot of panel shows over here, which are huge in Britain. Uh, I know they're starting to. There's The Fix on Netflix, which is a Jimmy Carr one, where they have comedians trying to fix world problems. Uh, but we have a panel show uh, called 8 Out of 10 Cats, which is, is great. They had, a, they had an Australian guy on there once, and they were talking about... He was ripping into all the English people on the panel for how terrible our food is. And one of the comedians quick back, well, what are, you com- what, what are you giving us a hard time for? All your food is technically prison food. For anybody who doesn't know, Australia was built on the backs of of English convicts. I I wonder who doesn't know that. Like, because I I, I, I want to say I that feel like that's like a well a... known enough yeah. fact. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. If you don't know, there you go. Yeah, now, there are millennials out there with short attention spans. <laughs> Very true. You know, there's been 23 MCU movies. Uh, they obviously didn't get it the first time. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Yep. 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 So what, I mean, so so, uh, what are some of your favorite parts of this movie? Like, like what, what, what well, the, the, reels the, you in? We've we, the, well, I'm in, I'm in from the beginning because I I have a predisposition for war films anyway. Sure. I do, I do like, I do like me a good war film, and especially I don't feel there's been enough films made about World War One in particular, and especially conflicts like this. That yeah. I, I I like knowing that this is helping to bring some awareness, or at least it did back in the day, bring some awareness to this probably lesser known battle or a battle that had been forgotten about. Like I said, a lot of the production guys, you know, Anzac Day for them was just a day off school. So for getting to be a part of that and learning yeah. more, I'm I'm all for you know higher you know higher learning and knowledge. And if even if the facts aren't all there, it's still helping to bring awareness. So I'm I'm in regardless. Yeah, and then you get the great scene at the beginning where I mentioned the dialogue there, where they're talking about his legs being still springs. I mean, I like that dynamic with Uncle Jack, and even though, yeah, I do agree with it, it's a bit heavy on the foreshadowing. I kind of like him reading bits of the Jungle Book, yeah. and I mean, I'm I'm in from the get go. I, I I think my favorite, I mean, at least acting moment in it. Um, I really like when um, Archie tells Uncle Jack he's not coming back, and he's like, I know you're not. Like, yeah. you know, your suitcase is way too heavy, and. Yeah, and that's I'm I'm with you. That's why he's the unsung hero. He's only got like three or four scenes, but yeah. they, he sells it. Yeah. He really does sell it well. Yep. I, I, Mel's anguish at the end, even though I know you don't like it 
being played with the, the, the music over the top. I, Mel really sells it at the end there where he's failed. Well, and, and yes. I, the, I, the anguish, the pain in his voice. I mean, that, that scream that he does where he knows that his, he's, he wasn't fast enough. Yeah. And so his friend is now dead because the, of that. The, I mean, the last part of the movie is, it's, it is really good. And, and you see just how... So to give a bit more context, so they, they get a message uh, saying that, no, stop the assault. And of course, command is all the way down the other end of the trenches. And so Mel is, has been pulled they, away. Yeah, they knew they knew there might be some communication breakdown. Right. So they, they needed a couple of runners and Archie volunteers Frank for it, even though... Well, he was given the job. Yeah. And then said, no, Frank, Frank's like, we're the same speed and you could use, I, I'd be better suited. Exactly. The, yeah. And so he, he almost condemns himself that way, mm-hmm. unknowingly. And so Mel has got a haul ass to the other side to tell them to stop the offenses. But he can, you know, he must, who knows, he may be just a few, he may be 100 yards away. He may be, but he, either way, he's not close enough. And he hears the whistle go. And that, the way he throws himself against the trench and yeah. that scream of pain. I think if anybody didn't know that Mel was going to be a star at that point, this, this is it. I mean, yeah. he's got it. Well, and I do think I do give a lot of credit to um, the the sheer ballsiness to end the movie the way it did on that on that freeze yeah. frame. Yeah, Which and I that's know actually, inspired. It's based on something from one of the books we mentioned earlier about yeah. the guy that that ran. I think I even have the quote here. But it was you know there was there was a, a similar photograph that had been taken, and it, and it sort of in the not just the, the the guide but the the image itself. Apparently, there was some some photo that was really similar to how the movie ended too. right and so sorry thank you for filling in i, I do have the quote it's here uh wilfred was last seen running forward like a schoolboy in a foot race with all the speed that he could you know, with all the speed that he could compass yeah so that's basically that's where the, the inspiration for just the plot in general comes from but also for that final yeah. that final shot now and how do you feel about the stuff in cairo i i, I because I mentioned this is where the film meanders. It does have a few fun moments in it here or there, but I'm going to guess that you think a lot of it is an unnecessary distraction. Well, I, 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 yeah, I just, I, it doesn't really. I mean, I get that these are his. I, we are. I think we've already seen Mel and his friends be chummy, so it's not like I need to know any more about about them, especially because we're not going to spend much more time with them. And yeah, there's some funny bits about we're trying to return the the statue that they both got, but for different prices. And oh wait, that might have been the wrong shop. And I get it, but, I, but it, it really did seem to... I, I think the one thing we get, and maybe I just thought it was funny, but, you know, the, the kind of making fun of the British, that this is sort of like a general attitude maybe towards them and to maybe kind of help put us in the world of, of, of how the Australians at the time maybe felt about the Brits. And I get and I get maybe one... Maybe that scene through the streets because then we get, we get that they're in Cairo, but... It really did last a lot longer than I think it needed to, and I don't I don't know that we learned anything new from those moments. I, I think, yeah, again, it meanders, but I think some of it is worth it so that we can get to those beautiful shots of them on the pyramids once they're reunited. That stuff is great. Yeah. That's some gorgeous cinematography. And, I mean, that's them there at the pyramids. Yeah. I just, yeah. And, and then, like, the, uh, what is it, the, um, is it a rugby match that they're doing? No, I, I thought it was. It's actually uh, Australian rules football. Okay. Which, don't ask me, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea how that game is played. I, I, I've seen a game or two, and it's just it's beyond me. And I am a rugby guy. I, I adore rugby. No, I don't know. How do you play cricket? <clears throat> uh, very carefully. Is there a wicket? Yeah. 
I actually used to be quite a decent bowler. Have you ever seen Hope and Glory? No. That movie sucks. That movie's fucking awful. Did that win Best Picture 87? No, no it was nominated, but okay. no, it didn't win. All right. Um, no, okay, so, yeah. I, I No, I, I just... I'm not going to lie. I am... I, I was expecting more from this movie, and I don't know I don't and I don't know what that is. And there were moments that delivered really well, but at the end of the film, I'm still I'm left here sitting and thinking that Dead Poet Society, Master and Commander, and Truman Show are not in the book. And that last one, more more importantly to me, is not in the book. And I haven't seen Witness, but I know you've spoken very fondly of Witness. I'd I'd love and, to see Witness, but I don't I don't think I would take Gallipoli out to put Witness in because I know what this film and I want to be encompassing to everybody. I know how important this film is in Australian film and how important this film is to Australian people. In fact, this film is so important it's still shown nightly at some hotels and hostels there in Gallipoli at I, the peninsula. I just feel like lately we've maybe begrudgingly said that movie should be in the book. And not felt it like a strong reason necessarily to keep it in. Like I, I, I want to say being there was probably the last time we were like, "Yep, yeah, no, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely, no if ands or buts." This needs. Well, to be yeah, in the no book. Top Gun, Top Gun, and then last week Maltese Falcon. And I, even, I, even a little bit with Funny Games. Yeah, you know, but like, I, 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 I mean, I have not. So I can't really make a statement on on. Um, Picnic and Hanging Rock and The Last Wave. Yeah, I, I haven't I, seen them. Maybe maybe one or both of those should come out to make way for some of Peter Weir's you know, later and, films. But so I would I would I mean I, I'm not trying to give give you my answer now. We uh, we can say whatever we want to still. But I just I mean my ultimately having only seen Gallipoli of Peter Weir's films in the book, I I can't say that it should be in the book when I think he has done better. And I realize what that this is a very important Australian film. But if I'm thinking about that, the thousand and one movies you must see before you die and somebody hasn't seen Gallipoli and somebody hasn't seen Truman show, I'm giving him Truman show a hundred out of a hundred times that that's. And oh, well, that's totally understandable. To end, that's, it's uh, it, that has a very important place in history as well. That film is so far ahead of its time. Yeah. As far as what it says about, you know, just the things that we watch and, you know, reality TV and how far is it going to go and just for what it did for Jim Carrey. I mean, yeah. nobody, nobody saw this performance coming out of Jim Carrey. When, I, I I don't know, I it's probably been a couple of years since I've seen it, but the fact that I still get a little emotional at the very end when he says it one more time, the good afternoon, And, and if good I don't evening, see you again, yeah. yeah. I just think it's such a, it's a such a smart movie. It's so well directed, and it, as it, good as Jim Carrey's performance, Ed Harris gives a heartbreaking performance yep, in that film. Yep, and I think I Noah Emmerich and Laura Linney and like Paul Giamatti's in that thing too. I just oh, that's right. It's just I just really enjoy the film and what it says, and and that's not to say that I didn't enjoy this and that I don't appreciate what this says. It's 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 hard when when a director has made something blatantly better. Like, this is a weird tangent, but like Richard Linklater is in the book, I think maybe twice, possibly only once. And it's for Slacker, which is not a good movie. It is not a good movie. And, oh, Boyhood's in the book too. That's Those are the two. But like the before trilogy in no way is in the book. And that to me is a fucking crime. 
let alone something as iconic as Days and Confused, which I don't necessarily think should be in the book, but it's up there in that sort of Top Gun pop culture status, like it could be in the book. So I just, you know, and granted, this is obviously our opinions, but if, if we're going to represent a director with multiple films, we need to have the best films in the book. And it, granted, I haven't seen the other two, but... Yeah, I, I'm in... <clears throat> I And I, I'm totally fine with all... I'm in no rush to take Gallipoli out. But I also do love Witness so much, and if it means <laughs> that... If it means that Gallipoli has to come out as so a Witness or Master and Commander... Those those are my honest my two favorite Peter Weirs are Witness and Master and Commander. I need, I need to see Witness, but I see and I I would even and it'd be funny to like to I need to see Witness, but then to see the other two that are in there and I like I wonder if I would do just a three film swap, and take out all three that are in and put in Witness, Master and Commander, and Truman Show. That that'll be yeah that'll be interesting know. to circle back to to Peter Weir and see what we think of Last Wave or and yeah. or Picnic. Uh, do you like how we're talking about doing, like, trying to watch his next movies and we still haven't done a Coppola or a Scorsese movie? I know. Well, we're saving Scorsese for something very special. Yes. We, yes. Do, we do have something planned for that. Yeah. And I, I and maybe even Coppola sooner than you think. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe. What? Yeah, we already have that planned. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, that yeah, I think those are, I mean, I don't want to, okay, so uh, kind of talk shots a little bit. And we, we have our unsung hero. We agree, Uncle Jack. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do have a line, I, I, mostly because I, I just think it's um, it was kind of a, f- a fun line. I like that, and I, I forget what it what it's in reference to. So so sorry, but I I think the line is Woody. It says, "If you try that in my country, you'd last about as long as a snowflake in summer." I oh, like that's that. that's when they go to the the shop to try and get the the money back for the fake antique, and Mel trashes the shop. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There we go. That, and that's what I thought. <laughs> I just I wasn't sure. Oh, my, my other favorite scene, just before we wrap up, is the dance hall scene. I see. I didn't. I did not like that scene. Oh, that, that speaks volumes. I love that because he, Archie is delivering the message to the, the commander in that scene. And he sees out of the corner of eyes, he says, tell Dunn this is an officer's only. Because yeah. he sees Mel Gibson has come with him and he's there drinking champagne. But there's the moment where he's read the message and then he turns to Archie and he's like, you know, why don't you grab one on your way out the door as well, knowing... I love the subtext there of the push is coming. Well, obviously we're going to have to get there. That's yeah. where the movie's going, but I do, I just, that's just a, a beat that I like. Yeah. And that, that act of decency knowing that, Hey, this may be the last time I see this young man. So let him have a drink and enjoy himself. I, yeah. I, I, yes. But that is a sentiment again, just to blow it up just from weird when we talk about anti-war films. I mean, there's so many other war films that have done similar things and who knows, maybe done them better. I don't know. Yeah, there it is. So, there, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a no for me. I, I know it's a no for me. With and your replacement being Truman, Truman Show. Show. Yeah. And it's a, I'd, I'd like to keep Gallipoli in, but if it has to come out so that Witness can come in, then that's maybe a sacrifice that I'm I'm willing to make. Sure. So uh, those are our thoughts on Gallipoli and, and Peter Weir and, and Australian film and all that good stuff. Um, so, uh, But we'd love to know what you think about all of this. Uh, if you think we're, we're right or wrong or who knows. Maybe we're just crazy. Um, but please, uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Leave us a comment. We'd love to kind of get a back and forth going with you. If you're listening, you're probably listening on Apple Podcasts and uh, Google Play and Spotify. Please like us, rate us, review us comment all those great things we uh we got some some big movies coming up soon and some some very small movies coming up soon so we hope you stick around um until next time i'm adam and i'm ian and we will see you next week